Yeah, dude. So I have a two or I have a four month old. She just turned four months or she's turning four months in four days. And just to, to put a nail in your coffin, she's been sleeping eight hours a night since two months. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's all you could ever hope for. I mean, that's the best case scenario right there. Dude, it was, yeah. Like I, we, she was waking up throughout the night all the time. And then one night we wrapped her in a blanket. So just like from her armpits down, just rolled her in a blanket. And uh, so obviously, so she wouldn't like, you know, suffocate on it or anything. And she slept like six hours that night. And we did it again the next night and she slept eight hours. And now she consistently sleeps from, uh, we put her, we feed her at nine 30 and put her down by 10 and she gets up about six. It's like, yeah, that's oh, awesome. Dude. Yeah. And my yeah. first kid total opposite sounds exactly yeah. what, what, what you were having every two hours, every two and a half hours, just crying. Yeah. By six months, my son was taking real regular naps and he was sleeping through the night and this baby's not, you know, she laid her down at 10 o'clock last night. And I think we finally got to sleep at like uh one thirty, and yeah. then she was up at three and then up at five. So basically yeah. didn't get any sleep last night, you know, pretty much just like hitting the other hitting your yep. wife. Like you get up now you get up. <laughs> she, dude, turn. my wife's, my wife's amazing. Uh, and, uh, she has taken the, pretty much the full load of the baby not sleeping good but you know we got a six-year-old son too and the baby's crying and waking him. so there's some things to it's different when you have two versus one definitely and then i sometimes work some weird hours and on-call stuff like i can't not have sleep because okay. if i get called at 1 30 in the morning and have to go in on hospital work I don't get the, it's not an option and it could, it could be a, a you know, it, it could be in a bad deal. It could be a 16 hour ordeal where you get called out at one 30 in the morning and, you know, I'm approaching 40. So it's not like I can just jump up and pound a red bull and go under any circumstance. Like I have to have some rest and whatnot. So it's been a challenge it yeah. has, but we're adapting and overcoming, but that's what it felt like this morning is like I was out partying and drinking and had to go in to work uh but i wasn't that was just you know we no were uh, yeah yeah man uh yeah um well welcome to the podcast everyone on on the line with me today is kevin vistason did i say that right vistason yep, yep, okay. yep kevin yep. vistason with the deer hunter podcast if you don't know that podcast certainly take a look at it find it on any app download it it's the most awesome and basic and straightforward name ever deer hunter podcast <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's one of those where you're like ah i got that name first <laughs> i uh i remember being at a trade show and uh talking to jared scheffler and telling him that i was starting a podcast and his what's the name of it i said deer hunter and he's like you mean to tell me nobody has that and i'm like <laughs> not anymore i'm like i have it now he's like yeah that's a good well, one great he's like great yeah <laughs> No, that's awesome. Yeah. So got Kevin on today and going to be talking about a, a bunch of different stuff. Um, so Kevin, for anybody who doesn't, who doesn't know you, um, we were just talking about our kids, obviously. And for anybody who's 
got kids as well. They know the scenario that we're in right now. Um, yeah, like I said, my first one was very similar to yours. Second one, sleeping through the night and you're just grinding it out, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what you have to do. It's not always pretty. Uh, it's, right. you know, it's, it's shown us some challenges for sure, but, uh, I don't know with any good challenge, you get out the other side of it and life's better. So, yeah. Yeah. I think like, honestly, in terms of like relationships with, with people in life, the more challenges that you make it through with that person, the stronger that bond becomes. And that's why like hunting partners become such good friends. That's it either blows up or they become great friends. Cause you're always in challenges together and you're oh, always yeah. making it through hard times. Well, that's why we're addicted to hunting. That's like, it's a personality and you kind of know the people when you run into people that hunt, you know, you could be at some random party and start talking with the guy that hunt, and you'll just, you'll hit it off. And there's that same kind of personality thing where it's people that like and accept challenge and it grows you as an individual. And we've never lived in a time where it's so easy to not accept challenge. Right that yeah. i mean a lot of people their biggest enemy that they'll ever have they live in a country and in a time where their biggest enemy they'll ever have is truly themselves for not taking the path of least resistance right and there's a percentage of people that don't want to take that path they want resistance and they want challenges and that's why that's why we're like biologically i don't know if that's the exact uh, right term to use but there's something that draws us to hunting and it's more than like, oh, I just kind of want to do that or I want to do it because it's fun. I mean, it literally just, you know, you're, you're consumed by it and it's, it's a driving factor in life to want to hunt. Yeah. Yeah. I, I certainly agree. And you can get, go to, you can go to a party or a bar or a wedding or whatever that you don't know anybody. And it's almost like you can pick them out of a crowd and, and you know, instantly if they're what, what I like to call a white collar hunter where it's like, yeah, I just want to pay for everybody to do everything for me <laughs> or, or, you know, instantly, like if they're actually like a grinder and they can get after it and they've, they've had the struggles and the strife of, you know, paying for a tag and eating the soup after, you know, nine days and not seeing Dick. Yeah. One thing I've definitely learned over time is how many different like personalities and people there are that hunt and for as much as we find common ground and love to hunt, you know, there's uh, people that are completely different, want to go about things completely different than what I do. And it's easy. And you can see that repeat itself in our community. We kind of like tear at each other about that. <laughs> it's, yep. it is ridiculous, but, uh, it's why I stay off Facebook to be honest with you is, uh, I couldn't take the you know, not getting sucked into the negativity on hunting forums. And, the, and it, it's not that I couldn't completely control my stuff commenting on it, but I would just read such stupidity. And it was so frustrating to just see these people not have better things to do with their time. And I'm like, how's this helping? Like, it's not. Right. So why are you doing this or why are you participating in the activity? And I'm like, that's a great point. I'm not going to fucking do it anymore. <laughs> like, I'm just not going to be a part of this because this is stupid. Uh, that's fine. If you guys want to do it differently, you live in a different state. You have different friends. Uh, you can go ahead and do it however you want to do it. And I'm going to do it my way. And we can still enjoy beer 
together and find some common ground. The fact that we still like to hunt, you can shoot whatever broadhead you want to, or crossbow, right. wh- wh- whatever. We're always picking away at each other for doing these little different things. But it's one thing that I've really come to notice over the course of doing this now for five years is just how different so many people are. And I don't know, there's, we will, I feel like in our lifetime face some pretty big pressure from like anti-hunting and organized legislation coming after our rights. It's happening, right? I believe in New Mexico, they just banned trapping on public land, which is insane. It is absolutely insane that taxpayers can't trap on public land. They are literally taking your rights away in front of your eyes, and you guys are bitching about who's shooting what different broadhead. There's no time or energy for it. Right. No, I I agree. And I I mean, there's more and more legislation coming down the pipeline, and people are, I mean, we as like we're organized in terms of like RMEF and Ducks Unlimited and you know, whatever the QDMA or whatever it is now. Um we're organized in that manner, but we're not organized that well when it comes to like this legislation that's, that's coming down the pipeline. And, and even in Canada, you know, like banning grizzly bear hunting, like, nope, we're not going to do it. And, and, and that's the, the opposition is like, well, let's just go legislation and let's put all our money there. And we're putting, like you said, our, our time and effort into bitching to each other about who, what the best broadhead is. Yeah, we have real we have real things to pay attention to and to be worried about. You got kids, I got kids. I don't want them having less hunting access and rights than mm-hmm. what I had. And you have to be careful because there's active paid for campaigns and propaganda from government to, you know. We I feel like uh how old, how old are you? I'm 31. You're 31. Yeah. So okay, I I'm coming in on 38. But still, like our generation is one of the first generations to have the freedom to the amount of information that we have, and we should be taking like full advantage of it. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like growing up, we were always kind of told, like, uh, you're either on the side of the guns or on the side of the clean air and clean water. Right. And it's just, I don't know, it, you've got to spend some time and look at local legislation and watch and hold people accountable because if you don't you end up like new mexico and completely against popular opinion that legislation was crammed through by all me from what i read basically said in the dark of the night they used the pandemic to not have uh, open public debate and forums and they kind of rammed it through and now you can't trap on public land in New Mexico. And I just think that's insane. And it's like, man, don't start letting precedent get set. That that's okay. Things like that to happen because they will use that precedent and go to other places and attack different topics, like letting people set precedent like that to take away your, mm-hmm. your rights that you're, I mean, you're paying, taxes and there's all this press on public land and public land and public land and protect public land. Well, that's great. We we're going to go ahead and protect it, but we got to protect our rights at the same time to use it for what we want to use it for. And obviously 
I would never be in favor of like legislation that would uh, destroy a landscape or not use it reasonably, but there's, I'm all for like multi-purpose use, you know, like we're talking about big, we'll talk about big woods. And if you have a land management plan for timber harvest and cuts, dude, I'm going there. I'm going there to deer hunt because that, those are like the food plots of the North country, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And I like in, in Wisconsin, you know, I don't know what the, I don't know this person personally, but so in, in Wisconsin this year, there was a, there was a law that said if wolves are delisted, there must there legally, there has to be a season held to hunt wolves in Wisconsin. So I don't, and it had to be done by, I forget the specifics on it. So nobody come after me on this, but I'm rough time frame here. So it, it had to be done by like March 31st of 2021 and wolves were delisted in like December or January or something like that. And uh, the state said, initially, they said, you know what, we don't have enough time to plan this. We're not going to do it. You guys aren't going to, we're not going to have a wolf hunt this year. So then um, an organization came in and I forget, it wasn't the Sportsman's Alliance. I forget who it was. They're a good. Sportsman's Alliance is a good one for sure. Yeah. But it was somebody else came in and sued the state and they were like, Hey, you said legally you have to have a wolf hunt. You need to do it. And it's not like the, the endangered species act is just like, this magical thing that happened in a day, right? Mm -hmm. They had months, the state of Wisconsin had months to plan out. Right. If, if this, if wolves get delisted, what should we do? They had months to plan this out and they didn't, or maybe they did because after they sued, they won and the state held a season um, with a hundred and I believe it was 140 tags given out to the general public and 60 tags given out to the reservations with the, with the Indians. Hmm. And in the course of, and you had to call in your wolf as soon as it was, as soon as it was harvested, as soon as it was okay. killed. So in total, like on day two, they had 130 wolves or something like that killed. So day three came around and they, so they didn't hit their quota. Day three came around it was still open. Everybody still had tags, had tags, and they killed 200. So, and so way over the, the, the general public, right? 140 was the max for the general public. The general public killed 200. The Indians didn't kill any. They held their tags. So the, the overall total uh, tags distributed was 200, and there were 200 wolves killed in total. In what right. time period? In three days. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wolves haven't been hunted here for years. Right. So, I mean, they like people knew where they were. People knew how to kill them, and wolves they weren't afraid. Right. So, I mean, it's just kind of one of those things. You just flip on the switch, and it's like, yeah, let's go. So they got they got their two hundred, and then the DNR closed it. Like, okay, we're done, right? Um, and then a hunter who is also a writer for the Wisconsin state journal or the Milwaukee, uh, the Milwaukee Sentinel or whatever 
writes an article that just says like something like Wisconsin hunters kill too many wolves, wolves over overkill. And he posts and he puts that in the Wisconsin or the Milwaukee Sentinel, which is a, a obviously in Milwaukee where a lot of liberals are. And he just fed them ammo on, you know, bad press on wolf hunting. Sure. Even though like a lot of tags were 200, 200 wolves were killed. Unfortunately, you know, it went over 60 over the allotted limit. But at the same time, the biologist said 200 could get killed. My, my gripe on that is not that is not that the and too many animals were killed. That's not my gripe. Cause yes, the tags were supposed to be 140 and they should have figured out. I mean, it all happened in three days. Like it's a pretty short time window. Oh, yeah. um, so you certainly went over it, but my gripe is that a hunter fed anti hunting community ammo. Like sure. they just said, here is an article showing how awful these wolf hunts can be. I mean, you guys went over the harvest allotment by, you know, 180%. Like this mm -hmm. is awful. We shouldn't ever host this. Like it just fed them ammo from a hunter. So a guy and, and, you know, and he's written many articles on, on deer hunting and, and duck hunting and all fishing, all sorts, all, all sorts of outdoor activities. And now he's, he's feeding the anti hunters ammo. And that's, that's my problem. It's like, if you have a problem with it, even as a writer for the outdoor journal, you don't need to write it in the way that you did, right? Yeah. You don't need to, you don't need to bitch about the hunters and everything. You can, you can frame it however you want. And when he posted it to the, like the outdoor group in Facebook, I took a look at it and, and I had to check the comments, right? <laughs> so the first comment, and, and the writer responded to it, which was, this is totally slanted, you know, as a hunter, you shouldn't be feeding the anti-hunters ammo. And, and the writer's response was, it's not slanted, it's all truth. Hey everyone, just jumping in to make a couple quick corrections here to those counts and figures I just gave. Um, figured after kind of vaguely doing that, I should get you the real numbers. So all in all, the Wisconsin DNR authorized 200 licenses for wolves across the state of Wisconsin, 81 were given to the Native Americans, 119 were given to the state for a total of 200. And over the course, course of the three days, 216 wolves were killed. Also, the wolves were delisted on January 4th, and this, this wolf season had to be completed by February 28th. All right, back to the podcast. Thanks. Well, I would just say this, that guy's, he sounds like, uh, not too in intelligent of an individual cause he's blaming, he's saying the responsibility lies on the hunters. I'm going to say the responsibility lies with whoever established the check-in system that failed and was that grossly inaccurate. How are, how would all these individuals that are around the state hunting in the woods know they are relying on a, a system that's put in place to let them know like Maine does it with their moose kills like right away. And I, don't ask me to explain to you how they do it, but that sounds like a failure of the system that was put in place, not that it lies on those hunters. So that guy just right. to me sounds like a bit of an asshat. Yeah. I mean, I mean, in my like, yeah. So I was, I was not, 
my personal opinion is is that like yeah he he wrote a a, a poorly framed article and, and there's enough people attacking the hunting community as it is and attacking like our rights as mm-hmm. hunters and and outdoorsmen i mean even people attacking like fishermen like you see it all the time on youtube like people hating on on people catching fish like give me well give me yeah i'm gonna tell you right now man uh from my perspective the watch the wolf stuff and the coyote stuff and the bobcat and the cougar that's the tip of the spear yeah all right everything else is gonna follow bears. yeah bears to an extent but not as much as cats and dogs because the average person relates that to a household pet okay Mm -hmm. so and i've 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 very politely dm'd guys before that are like great photographers that'll put like wolf kills and bobcat kills on social media and i i totally understand from the hunter point that you're proud of that and you want to share it but it is of my personal opinion that social media is of no place for that stuff to belong. Um, you see it all the time. I see these uh, young women that'll kill cats or wolves and they want to hold the thing up. They're super proud. I mean, holy shit. You know, it's a pretty ridiculous. Yeah, you, you know, um, it's, it's a hell of an accomplishment. And I understand that they feel like primitively proud to showcase that. So I understand that part of it and why they do it, but I feel like they need to understand that there's no positives for us that come out of it. You're only fucking everyone over by posting that online, social media places. Mm -hmm. We have learned for sure 100% in the past year where they kind of fall as far as the political landscape goes. So if you're posting pictures of dead cats and dogs, I don't care how tasteful they are, what story goes with it, it's not the place for it. And that's my personal opinion. And I've gotten into it with a couple guys, and I'm like, listen, man, I'm just telling you, I don't know how you can argue to me that what is the benefit for the community of you posting that? Go ahead, tell me. Right, and yeah, and I'm not, I I don't have a, I don't have an opinion on that. This is a new, this is a new topic to me. So I I don't want to, I want to think about that one. Well, I'm just saying the dog and the cat thing is the tip of the spear. And so watch that and watch how that goes. And it is, it's, it's, it's interesting to me that people care so much about wolves, but not nearly anything about coyotes. Well, they don't, they care about the idea of caring about wolves. Yeah. (laughs) They don't actually care. Right. Yeah. I mean, we care like people that buy hunting tags for the most part and go out there and spend time with these animals in their landscape. And we're connected to their landscape and we care about them because we care about this place. No one is more attached to the landscape or the animals that inhabit it than a hunter. So, yeah, my opinion. No, no, I, I, I agree. And I'm going to have to go back and do my research on that wolf thing. And I'll have to make an amends on the next podcast to make sure I get all the, all the numbers right and everything on it. Yeah. And I'm sorry to but, any of uh, you guys that are big, big predator hunters and you, and, and you love it. I, I love that you do it. It's uh 
super critical part of the a balanced because the wolf thing is a problem and it yeah. is a problem and that's why i'm like i mean you're I'm, in michigan so you guys got wolves too in the up we're fortunate yeah. we don't have them down here in the lower peninsula i don't have to deal with that and it's a big factor in why i don't go hunt in the up because yeah. it has i know a, a lot of people personally that have grown up hunting in the up and have hunted the up for a long time and you know they're no one that I know says that it's had a positive effect. They're all universally, you know, say that the deer hunting is not what it used to be. Yeah. My biggest, so and to the, to the wolf, the whole wolf thing, my biggest gripe on that is if the federal government says, um, Hey state, you're going to, we're going to introduce these wolves into your state. You have to accept them. It's going to happen. Like, they're coming and then the state well, says this is happening in colorado right now right so. exactly and then the state says okay well all right they're coming now now what and then they're like well we're gonna drop them in here but you can't do anything about them you can't regulate them in any way because they're on the endangered species list so we're just gonna drop these things here because we think that that they should belong here and now you guys can't do anything. So if it really fucks up your deer herd or, or your fox population or your elk population or your moose population, um, you're going to have to figure something out. Yeah, uh, there's things. Colorado has this going on right now, and there's a lot to it. It's in depth there, the state, and there's a lot of different entities that had to have plans put in place for it to go ahead and happen. But once they put it up, uh, it was, it's, it only passed via the people voting that are the farthest removed from the area that the wolves are going to be released into in that area, in like the tri County area or whatever it was that they're actually, actually Boulder and Denver that voted it in. And yeah. In the area, in the area that the wolves will actually be released, it was universally unpopular. They did. Like they did not want eighty percent. No. So that's why I'm. That's why I'm. You know, we're talking about this, and I'm stressing this is like let's not argue about whose tree stand is one pound lighter, <laughs> or whose bow's quieter, or whose camo has less blue. It's <laughs> it's a it's such a waste of time and resources, and there's actually things going on that. And, and sometimes I almost just wonder is like, are the anti hunters in here and just dressed in camo and like literally provoking this? Cause it would be so easy. Right. Like you just sit there on a thread on a Facebook forum and watch these guys argue about stuff. And man, if you wanted to troll, I mean, right. my gosh, you know? Oh yeah. No. And I, I, you know, yes, I, I agree. And my, like, again, to the wolf point is like, if you're going to introduce a species, then you have to let the state manage it. Right. I think there's room for, for every species like in, in the ecosystem. I mean, like there are, there is room for wolves in Wisconsin. It's just, how are we going to regulate them and how are we yeah. going to make sure that, that humans still have an interaction with them? I don't you know, think you have this Yeah, You had this biological uh, convergence of humans and wolves where human, where wolves were the only main predator in Wisconsin or in the Midwest for a long time, you know, you had bobcats and you had some mountain lions and some bears, 
but wolves were the main predator, their dominant predator. And then the humans come in, kill them all. So now there's none. And then you bring them back. And then you say, hey, humans, you can't do anything about them now. They need to just do their thing. And you can't do anything. So so there's like this, this fight over resources and it's in the resources deer tags, right? I mean, that's that's the resource that the wolves want and we want. And how can we make that beneficial for both? 100%. Um, and and that comes down to, to regulation of the species by humans. Well, we've proved over a long period of time that the North American model works. Yeah. We take scientific facts. Uh, we have plans put in place and it works outstanding. And there's people that are challenging that now. And there's activists that are getting organized and making noise and collapsing on that system that we've proved to be the best system that's ever been put in place for, you know, having, having game on the landscape and managing it. And for us to be on the landscape with them, right? Co-consumers, the whole thing. We have an awesome system and we got to protect it and take care of it and keep it science-based and not yeah basically anybody that is of the opposition you know potentially poses a threat to you know your rights and your children's rights to do such things in the future so it's pretty serious yeah yeah and i think i think the biggest thing that people don't understand is what it's like other places people don't understand that like you don't just go to in europe for instance like there is very very strict and very minimal amounts of oh, yeah. uh, ability to hunt, right? I mean, and even in even in Australia, um, I lived there for six months and I hunted there. It is only uh, non-natives that you can hunt. Anything right. native can't touch it. Um, pigs, water buffalo, um, some other wild uh, some wild deer. There are, there is, I believe there is a native species there of deer. There's a, there's a few you can hunt. I should say, I, I have a a buddy of mine named Joe who's coming on the podcast next week and he's from Australia. Um, so we'll talk about this a little bit more, but he was saying, I remember telling him like, I was like, so do you hunt like any sort of deer species or anything? He's like, yeah, we have a, we, we have a very limited draw system that's in, like this one region um that is that has like you know a thousand acres of public land that you can hunt and that's that's it you know for the, the entire the entire area that he's in which is you know probably like a quarter of the u.s yeah other than that it's it's just wild pigs and water buffalo and i mean fuck camels are non-native so you can hunt them there too but the uh yeah that's an interesting one um, I'm not sure how I'd feel about that, <laughs> but, uh, I'd be sending it. I'll tell you how I feel, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, just the fact that we, we have the ability to hunt all of this, gather our own food, you know, spend the time outdoors. And we've, we've, uh, created this system that you said, the North American, uh, conservation model, it's, it's something that doesn't exist all over the world. And these activists don't understand that. Right. And even ourselves, like it's something that you've grown up with and you know, your entire life. So you kind of take it for granted. Like, what do you mean? You can't just go hunt 
or you can't just go fish. Like that's a thing. But right. in Wisconsin, it's what, I mean, shit, when I was growing up, everybody took off the Friday before deer season. Right. You know, we took, we got out of school for it. Like it was a thing. And you talk about that with other, with my co, I have new coworkers that are on the East coast and they're like, what? You can, you, you did that, you know, <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. You yeah. They're don't. Tr- traditions, family. It's like the most important right. stuff. Yeah. So no, I mean, bottom, bottom line, everybody like, like Kevin was saying, quit bitching on Facebook and go out and find the real problems. Call your legislators and tell them, tell them when these things arise or, or stay informed. I guess that's the best way to do it. Just is just try to stay yeah. informed through socials. Yeah. Don't, don't waste your time. Yeah. It's there's better things to do with your time. Uh, yeah. Like I get a lot of young guys, a lot of kids, they're just getting into it and they're, they don't understand the value of it. Yeah. But when you get later in your life, you realize how special of an opportunity that we have mm-hmm. to go out, you know, and, and do this. And it is, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it is really special. I want my kids to be able to do the, do the same thing. I, I don't know what I would do if it wasn't for deer hunting. I'd be gotta be, I'd be rich. so bored. I'd be so bored, man. You'd be rich. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's possible. No, I love the, I love the old last thing I'll say on this is I love the old crusty guys who are just getting on Facebook and they're like 60 years old and they're the best hunter that anyone's ever seen in the world. They just, no one knows about them. So they come in and they're just, you know, the best, everything, this is what you got to do. This is what you got to do. And yada, yada, yada. But that'll, uh, that'll probably be me when I'm 65. <laughs> so I'm not going to tear on those guys too bad. No, they got like, it. Who, the, oh, who the hell is this deer hunter podcast? Old crusty ass dude sitting here talking <laughs> shit. Get out of here, old man. I would do it just to troll because I got nothing left to do with my time. <laughs> some, I, I remember a year ago, I posted a video of me doing like a kettlebell swing and some young kid commented like bad form pops or something. And I was like, <laughs> all right, nice Thanks, shot. Buddy. I'll take it. I'm, I'm uh, hanging myself out here working out on, uh, on social media so I can take the heat. Uh, um, all right, let's get now that now that we've we've had our conversation on that, let's move let's move into the thing that you do, which is big woods deer. Let's talk yeah. about that because I don't know a lot about it. I, I hunt deer. I'm a total equal opportunist. So small pol- small parcel and ag is a lot of what we do here in southern Michigan. Okay. Small parcel. Okay. You're out of like the Detroit area, correct? Yeah, I live about 30 minutes north of Detroit. Okay. I live on Lake St. Clair here the uh, in New Baltimore, Michigan. Okay. And uh, just one quick fun little fact about the area that the St. Clair Flats that I live on is the biggest freshwater delta in the entire world. It's an extremely mm-hmm. unique place. And yeah. so when people come here, they're like, where the hell am I? Like they don't, they don't understand is this the ocean they're in michigan because yeah that's what you know the waters are shades of blue and turquoise and it's just sand bottoms and deep rivers and cuts i mean i could go drop you off in a spot in an airboat and you'd be like uh where where in the world could i possibly be and it's (laughs) so it's it's a 
it's an awesome place. And around here, it's nice because we have marshes and swamps. There's a lot of water around here. So it's yeah outstanding whitetail habitat. Gotcha. But what I really enjoy to do is to get away from the crowd and the traffic and drive up north and, yeah, hunt bigger bigger sections of forest and timber, big wood stuff, uh, obviously focus on transition. So hunting where swamps meet hardwoods is where I find a lot of my success. Uh, ridges, okay. like a ridge that runs down into a swamp. There's, uh, there's places and things that you'll see when you go out there that you'll figure out pretty quickly. You're like deer spend time here. Deer go everywhere pretty much in the dark, right? I mean, they'll yeah. just take path of least resistance and uh, topography and the landscape will dictate their movement, but obviously they'll comfortably move free and about through most of the landscape in the dark. But yeah that doesn't do you any good unless they're going to legalize hunting with a spotlight anytime soon. You got to figure out where they are during the day mm -hmm. and they spend time in about 10% of the, you know, if you were going to break down, a, a, if you're going to break down a hundred acres, it's pretty good rule of thumb that you could write off 90 of it and focus on 10 of it because yeah. that you'll see that about that number materialize over the landscape real quickly you can write off a lot of stuff that's you know if it's a big um monoculture of maple trees or even just a big giant open oak flat the deer aren't going to be very comfortable moving about that in daylight hours so you've got to find cover cover that's adjacent to food cover that they're using to go from food to here they'll pretty much bed about anywhere bucks are obviously a little more particular i shouldn't say that i should say mature bucks obviously mature bucks are pretty particular about where they bed okay. but sometimes i think even up there in the rut they just you know they'll just lay down at night wherever not wherever but I, i've seen them lay down in camera in some weird places and just be like i wouldn't imagined that but i guess he wants to take a nap there <laughs> And uh, they yeah. won't stay for long. You know, they'll stay for an hour, maybe 90 minutes, and then they're up and on their feet again, and they're going, and shit, I don't know. You know, you might see that deer once, and that's it. You never see that deer again. And so that's what I love about it is you just ne kind of never I – don't, I don't feel like you ever know what you're going to see. When I go hunt the small woodlots and the farm stuff, I feel like I've got my finger on the pulse pretty good of what deer are in the area because they don't move as freely because there's obviously a lot more human interaction. They know the dangers of moving. And when I get into some good big wood stuff and the, and it's the right time of year, it's happening all day. Like the deer just move freely late in the morning on farm country. I just have never had good luck. And I think, you know, the deer know that it's, it's risky business once everybody's up and about and traffic's moving and they, they recognize that, you know, now the people are out. Yeah. But when you're up, up there, there's no people. So it doesn't really change. And I've just seen the deer act a lot more calm 
throughout the day. Whereas down here, I'll have a deer like right at, you know, right at last light or first light. And they're this like super jittery. And where I'll see a deer up there at 1.30 in the afternoon, and it's just kind of casually walking around, nipping at some leaves. You know, it's alert and it's a tent, but it doesn't perceive that it, the fact that it's on its feet during the daylight, that it's in some grave danger. And I think that's just the product of them having much less human interaction. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, it just kind of being quiet out there. Like it doesn't, the, the audio for them doesn't change a whole lot. They're not hearing kids outside screaming and yelling, tractors running, car doors open and closing and all that. So yeah. And that's a big part of it for me too. I don't like hearing that. <laughs> I like getting yeah. away from that. I, I love going up North and it just being, you know, quiet. And especially when there's like crunchy leaves on the ground and you can kind of just relax close your eyes a little bit, even if you want, and just like, dude, perk your ears up and, uh, you can hear the entire forest, you know, and it's as a hunter, I feel like that's when I'm at my biggest advantage because when I'm using my eyes, you can only see what you're looking at, right? You can't see yeah. directly behind you, but you can always hear 360 when it's quiet. And especially in the fall, when you have some crunchy leaves, you know, on the ground. So I just love hunting up there for that fact, because I feel like I'm a better hunter up there. I'm pretty good at sitting still and being quiet. And I definitely have like worked on my system for a lot of years to be able to be very quiet as far as like my clothing and my gear and everything goes. Cause it's, it's another level of quiet. And I just love that. And then you know, you add in like a little slight breeze of the wind coming through the pines up there and maybe hear some chickadees and whatnot. And that's it. That's yeah. it. Other than hopefully some deer coming through the woods, uh, some grunts, things of that nature. You'll hear some gunshots uh, during firearm season, obviously going off in the distances around you. Mm -hmm. But uh, bow season, I mean, geez, man, it's awesome. just, yeah, it's just silent, silent up there. And I've fallen in love with that. Like when I'm sitting in traffic, thinking about things that make me happy to re you know, remove me from the current situation that I'm in, that that's the kind of stuff that I think about is like getting a stand set up in a good spot and just having like a good weather day where you can yeah. hear your, you can hear pretty good and you're just at like a really good advantage as a hunter and i love hunting up there too because we have a real good mix of uh coniferous and deciduous forest so there's typically pine trees different types of pine trees and pockets scattered about and with mobile gear you can tuck in it's not about you know like i said hunting those monocultures of oaks and maples that don't really lend you uh, kind of a cover or hiding spot. So you've got to go 20, 25 foot. Ideally depends on what part of your country you're in. I I've heard people say that they've hunted in spots of the country where the deer don't look up and here in Michigan, these deer have been, been hunted for a long time from tree stands. They look up, yeah. uh, I mean, of a, a fawn, you know, a six month year old deer just like is genetically programmed to look up. <laughs> it might not realize that you're a threat or to run away, 
but it will find you. It will see you in that tree and it will, it will watch you. And so for that stuff, you know, we're always trying to go up real high, but I, I love there finding a spot where it's just like right where the pine kind of crests up and there's like a little pocket that you can kind of sneak into and you've got back cover oh, now, yeah. which is uh, so nice. And you're just tucked in there and you get in the right spot, man. And you're, you're just at, you're at such an advantage. I've, I've shot a few deer um, up there that just, they never, never knew, never had a clue. Right. Yeah. One of my favorite, I mean, if I can ever find a pine that's in a good spot, I'm, I'm getting in it all the time yeah you just have like uh, yeah you have such an advantage with cover yeah and a lot of the times you have a natural ladder right so you don't need to you don't need yeah. to set up a ton of sticks or anything like that you just usually just climb right up that bugger you can and uh you're you're in yeah well and there's the scent thing too i mean yeah it helps in some capacity and i'll say this i i've i spent a lot of time hanging in pines and i I don't do that anymore. I'm looking for a hardwood tree in a little cluster of pines to where I could take advantage of the cover of the pine, but not have to deal with cutting out limbs <laughs> sure. and tree sap and whatnot. Yeah. So I, I might be looking for uh, a good poplar tree that's right coming up. Edge. Yeah. It, it, that's in a blend of pines where I've got a couple up in front of it and then some taller ones up behind it Yeah. to where it's like, and you'll, you'll know it after you start setting in these spots and it's taken me a long time to figure out like exactly how I can find this spot over and over again. But it, it kind of goes to like that 10% of the landscape that I'm looking for. Yeah. And it is, it is that mix. Typically it's um, looking for where transitions meet up. So there is different mm -hmm. kinds of trees. And I'm obviously I'm typically going to have a selection of some type of pines and some type of hardwoods and find that hardwood tree that I can throw three or four sticks to get me 12 to 18 foot essentially and yeah. have me tucked right into cover does money in the bank. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And you have a you have a full DVD or you have a, it's on YouTube too, the forest, right? Yep. There's a DVD that, uh, and a, uh, there's a film that we produced, uh, three, four years back okay. and it showcases some of that. Uh, it definitely showcases us, you know, traversing around the woods and taking stands up and down. And yeah, you kind of get a good look at, yeah, you do. You get a real good look at the landscape of, of where I like to hunt up there. Yeah. And, and, and you make a good, you make a great point about, the monoculture and finding those edges, right? Finding those transition zones, those edges where deer just like to spend time. So if, if you're in the scenario where you're hunting kind of like a big woods, um, see if you can find that edge, you know, that, that difference in. And I think there's, there's really stark contrasts. Like you go from, you know, pine rows to a CRP field. Like that is certainly a stark contrast right there. But even just as like you're saying, like maybe you're you have a slow transition from, you know, maples to poplars and then into maybe some pines or something like that. Like 
like it's it's slower and it's less subtle or it's less stark and it's more subtle but the more what i want to say the more uh like if there aren't those stark changes in in the landscape you have to focus on those subtle terrain and vegetation changes like oh, yeah. they're much they're they're really subtle to us but to a deer that's lived there its entire life it knows where those changes are yeah and i will add to that uh, one of the things i suppose that i'm looking for is typically where um high stem count areas okay so thick thick understory that provides yeah. cover oftentimes where that meets up with some more mature but i'm not so much looking for like uh, I, I wouldn't care if there was 16 different monocultures that all came together if it doesn't have cover if it's all just big mature upper story that's all in that 90 uh, percent gotcha. i'm getting out of there I, I want high stem count basically uh where a deer can can't where he stands there's got to be something touching him at all time for him to be comfortable moving during the daylight so whether that's brush uh fragmity grass cattails something high stem count where he physically has something touching him all the yeah. time or is within three bounds now that stuff is harder for them to traverse through so if they given the opportunity they typically will walk those edges and i like to focus a lot on that not only that but let's say um that that edge is on the downside wind of that thick high stemmy uh that high stem count area yeah where i know that deer are bedding in there because it's the thickest cover they're typically going to to choose that uh the bucks will oftentimes walk the downwind side of that smelling what is in there what has been in there is there another buck in there is there how to doe in there who's in there what are they doing are right. they in there right now so he's, he's walking yeah. and also a lot of times they'll have so there will be trails that are coming out of that mm -hmm. into the hardwoods especially obviously in oaks right oaks is the, is the is a great thing to focus on and talk about because it's kind of simple mentality to break it down right the deer are going to bed in the thick cover and then they're going to come out into the oaks to eat the acorns so there's all these trails that are coming out well mm -hmm. a buck will parallel that and he'll just check all those trails boom 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 sure so versus you know having a beat down trail that's coming out of that thick cover obviously if it's loaded up with sign it's an awesome place to set up but oftentimes if you look a little closer out 10 or 15 yards to what would be the downwind side of that you'll see another trail and it might not be as heavy as used because it's only getting used by maybe it's only getting used by one buck but that's his trail where he is walking that section and mm. checking all of those trails that are coming out great point. To, to see and and during pre-rut i'm telling you if you get the right weather and you find that scenario it's you're gonna you're gonna see you're gonna see deer you might not see the deer you want to see 
I just lost your uh there we go. Oh, got a little little funky on us there for yeah, a second, sorry. but we're, that's all I, right. Yeah. We're we're back in business. But anyways, <laughs> if if you can find and those patterns repeat themselves, you can go, you can drive three hours, uh two hours to another piece and find that kind of similar landscape and setup, and those trails will be there. Cause that's sure. just how they use the landscape and how they want to use it. And if, if you don't have pressure, cause pressure dictates everything. So that's, what's really nice about the big woods is that you can get away from some of that to some extent. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously we have high hunter density here in Michigan, but personally, I feel like a, the a big majority is that is just the first couple days of our gun season. And sure. If you want to go bow hunt in the big timber, you're just, you're typically not going to run into people. And if you are, yeah. you just go to another place and, and it won't be a pattern that repeats itself. I haven't, I I've had like one negative interaction probably in 10 years where I had some guys walk in on me. I got in early. I got set up. And then right at like first light, these guys came kind of trucking through and I'm flashing them with my headlamp to let them know, Hey, I'm here. And I thought they didn't see me cause they just kept walking like right straight towards me. And so I just kept flashing it, kept flashing, it, kept flashing it. And I'm thinking these guys are just trucking along. They don't see it. You know, I don't know. Yeah. And, uh, finally when the guy got there, he, they did see it cause he commented, he's like, yeah, we seen your fucking light. And I was like, did you think to like not come this way? <laughs> and yeah. that was the end of our okay. conversation. And then they walked through and I was like, all right, <laughs> whatever. You know, yeah. that's not how I would have handled it. Yeah. But whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I know now that that could potentially happen again in the future. So I'm, it might dictate me not coming back here to this spot which is fine. There's like another spot a hundred yards from here. That's better when I got down and scouted. So no, nothing lost there. But when I got yeah. down that morning, I, I thought, Oh, certainly those guys knew I was hunting here. They, you know, they walked through and went a distance. The, the guy was like 40 yards from me, just sitting up against the base of the tree. And oh, I was geez. like, really? You know, really? Oh man! And to his credit, he—I mean—he was sitting up against the base of the tree in full camo. With, I mean, if I was a deer, a big old buck, he could have smoked me, dude. Uh, <laughs> I didn't see him until it was way too late. But uh, uh, I just gave him a wave and walked off. And that—that's my only uh, in in. I think I can say that honestly. In ten years, that was my nice. only. Uh, I bumped into a guy one time on a piece of private. And he thought he was on public. Um, mm -hmm. My family has some property up there. Okay. And I was on that property and I was walking out and there was a guy standing there, like looking at his app on his phone. <laughs> and I was like, Hey, uh, what are you doing? And uh, he's like, I'm just trying to figure out where, where I'm at exactly. And I was like, yeah, you're, you're way in the middle of a big piece of uh, private, <laughs> private land. So I don't think you are where you think you are. He's like, oh, really? And so, uh, you know, I got him situated and walked him out and whatever. Nice. But uh, those are the only two interactions I've had with in 10 years of uh, bow hunting up there. So there's a lot of woods 
and there's a lot of opportunity. And nowadays with the gear, with the mobile hunting and the education that comes with that. Yeah. I think, I think in the years to come, there's going to be a lot more guys that'll be doing it because it's so much fun and it's, it's not been sold to, I think like the general deer hunting public, like not yet. the, the back country type of whitetail hunt. Everybody wants to go out West and do the mountains. And I, I totally get that it's outstanding, but there's a lot of cost and time. There's a hell mm-hmm. of an adventure to be had in Northern Wisconsin, Northern Michigan, uh, just with a tent and a backpack and going to a new piece of bigger landscape that you haven't, that you haven't hunted before and figuring it out and killing a deer. Yeah. So uh, I just want to, I want to back up here and we're about out of time. Um, but I, last thing I wanted to, to cover here is, so you mentioned like the, and this is a scenario I imagine a lot of people come across, which is like you, that you have the thick cover, right. Where the deer are bedding. And, um, and I, and I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of repeating what you're saying and maybe looking for a, a little additional clarification here, but you have that thick bedding area where the deer are bedding and they're coming out of it. Right. So when you're, when you're, when you're go walking parallel or I'm sorry, when you're walking perpendicular or you're walking, sorry for everybody listening, my apologies here, you're walking parallel with that edge. So you're walking with the edge and you come across trail one you're like, all right, this is a good trail. It goes into the thick. You come across trail two. Oh, this is a good trail. It goes into the thick. 20 more yards, you come across trail three. Oh, this is good. It goes into the thick. And you get three, four, five trails that that you cross that are going into that thick area. You're right on that edge. And you're saying if if you come off that edge 10, 15 yards and you make that same walk, generally you might be able to find a a trail that a buck is using to check all those trails as well. Yep. And it's 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 a good time to do that in the spring right because when when you're at well i mean you can approach that two different ways in the spring it's great because you can just bulldoze through there and find those things after you've done it for a while you can actively do it in a hunt i mean you could literally pull up to a piece know that there's a swamp down there you're walking through acorns you see the transition right there it is that's where the swamp starts Mm -hmm. you can you can start to look and take your time and pick it apart. Cause you, the last thing you want to do is go too far and walk over that trail and then walk across it again. And again, sure. The game's up that deer might come through there. He might not come through there that afternoon. He might come through there 24 hours from now and smell that and be like, Oh, hell no. Like somebody's, somebody's in here. I'm going to go a different route. And that, that right there is enough to, you know, screw up, uh, you know, yeah. To tip them off that you're, you're there and you're actively hunting them. So if you can find them in the spring, but honestly, uh, the fall is is a great time too. I used to just hunt sun up till, sundown you know i'd have four days to hunt and that's what i was gonna do hunt 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 and now that's not really my approach i'll obviously i'll have a spot or two that i'm planning on going to but if it's not happening 
uh, I'm going to get down and start looking around and figure out where it's happening. And if you just go about your business slowly and you kind of know what you're looking for, as far as the landscape goes, when you get there, you'll either know pretty quickly. Yeah. There's deer actively in here or there's not, or oftentimes like what happened to me, not this past gun season, but the gun season prior, I went to a spot that was really good the year before. And it was just, it was just dead. And I, I couldn't exactly figure out why or what was going on in hindsight. I, there was, uh, there was some factors that had contributed, I believe to why, because deer won't always be in the same spot every year. Food sources change. And that's one, one thing not to get off topic, but like food sources up there is a big thing, but like 80% of their, their food is just woody brows. So there's, I've I've literally watched them stand in a pile of acorns and just eat twigs. And it's like, (laughs) what are you doing? (laughs) Are you retarded? (laughs) They they just, they eat, they eat leaves. They eat mushrooms. Um, I've watched them eat a lot of different kinds of mushrooms up there. They love mushrooms. So they're always eating. And they're always eating everything. So they don't necessarily have uh, these, you know, destination food sources. Right. But one year something will be cut and it will be fresh growth and they'll be all over it. And then the next year there's a better cut and it's a half a mile away and they'll be there. So like you, there's a lot of times where you'd go up and hunt around old timers and they'll be like, Uh, Let me tell you about this DNR up here, man. They're screwing everything up. There's no deer. There used to be, I used to see 14 deer a day here in the spot. This year, I didn't see any. And I'm like, well, that was a fresh cut like 12 years ago. That would make perfect sense why there's no deer here now. And there was then, you know, it's not the state. It's that the deer moved to what is a better food source. Right. Yeah. And they're not moving with them. And that happened to me. That happened to me two years ago and we had perfect weather, which was nice. We got some fresh snow the night before. So I was able, I sat till mid morning and it was just this beautiful sit, like fresh, probably like four inches of snow on the ground. And then just snow and heavy really all morning, but no wind, just these big fluffy flakes of snow dropping down through the woods. So I was like, well, and then around 11 o'clock it let up. So I was like, man, any deer sign that I'm going to find here on this like little scouting excursion, I just decided, I was like, for whatever reason, there's, there's no deer in here. I'm going to move. So I got down and I started going about and I got into a spot that was a ridge that essentially dropped down into a swamp. So if you can imagine just tons of edge for them to come up, come up through the swamp into this finger. And that finger was a ridge that basically ran up into the hardwoods. And when I got there, old rubs, fresh rubs, scrapes. And then obviously because of the fresh snow, there was fresh deer tracks like all over through there. I'm like, all right, there's a lot of deer here this morning and like that rub is super fresh so i don't think i need to go look any further yeah so i just stopped 
took a breather, looked around, figured out kind of um, what's the wind going to be doing the next day or when I'm coming. I, you know, I, I think I planned on hunting that the next morning. And I hung that stand for what wind direction I figured that there was going to be. And actually what I ended up doing is setting up right on the transition so that I could shoot and, uh, it, this it's pretty thick. Okay. So there's pines and hardwoods on this Ridge. It's pretty thick. You can see, you know, 40, 50 yards for, for the most part. And on the other side of me was a thick cedar swamp. So I sat right up on that edge so that I could essentially shoot that trail that paralleled up through the center of that ridge. And it was about 11 o'clock, 1130 that following morning. I'd sat all morning and I saw two doe around 930, a mature doe with a fawn, and they came through. And then around 1130, I hit a little series of tending grunts and, and about 30 seconds later, I saw some movement coming through the thick pines and out came, you know, uh, this two and a half year old after, you know, I got the thing on the ground and got to look at it, but a nice, you know, seven point, uh, nice. and he was looking for a fight or looking for a girlfriend. And for me, well, he actually hit that. He was coming down that trail, the big, big, thick trail that dropped into the swamp. And when he hit that cross trail, instead of coming my direction and going towards me, he stopped and actually turned and started walking away from me. And I picked that grunt call up and hit it again. Bah, bah. And I mean, he turned and put his head down the bird dog. I mean, he was coming looking for a fight. <laughs> it was awesome, man. It was intense. That's cool. And when he, when I grunted to him, when he w- went to walk away, he was probably 60 yards and he came 60 to 20, like the snap of a finger. And, uh, I was f- you know, I have a two by seven scope and I had it all the way dialed out. And I mean, I had that, I had the scope on him watching him in the scope coming through the thick stuff. And as soon as I had only fur in the scope, boom. Yeah. And uh, he mule kicked and ran into the swamp. And I was like, wow, I, I, I have no clue. Um, (laughs) No clue. I mean, it happened so fast, but I felt pretty confident. One, he was really close. And two, I had a good beat on him as he was coming through there. But that's one of the things I guess that uh, you kind of have to get used to when you're doing the big wood stuff too, is like, you gotta be, uh, you gotta be ready to shoot. That's one thing that I've, I've noticed. I see videos and guys all the time, like having their bows, hanging up and this and that and there's there's no way there's no way i always have my gun in my hand basically on my lap or my bow i have my hand on the grip 
and my, you know, release in my hand and that bow's sitting across my lap. So then in one motion, I can essentially just raise up and shoot it. Cause if I had to reach for a, a thing and this and that, a lot of times the deer that I've killed, it just wouldn't happen. It's you get right. split seconds. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. In those big wood scenarios or thick wood scenarios, all of a sudden they're on you. You know, that, you, that was you it. So I'm at 30 yards and you're like, oh shit. hundred percent. And yeah. oftentimes like with the snow, you don't hear. Yeah. It could be 10 yards from you and mm-hmm. you'd never know it. It's incredible how quiet they can be. So, yeah. but yeah, that, uh, you know, that was a, uh, a cool hunt for me because I felt like I went in there and in the past, in my younger years, I would have sat there for th- two or three days and I might not have gotten a deer. And, uh, you know, I would have been trying to scratch my head and figure out what I got to do in the future. And I felt like I was finally at a point where I was like, no, there's no deer here. And there's all kinds of places. There's deer somewhere. Just get down, go do your due diligence, find them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on a two to three day hunt, that's greatly increased my, my success rate. And as we started this whole thing and we could, and we circle back, you know, work a lot of hours, have a family. If I, and at some point I intend to have the luxury to have a week or two or who knows a month to actually go and replicate and do all this and start, you know, finding uh, older age class deer, bigger deer, and being able to, you know, put a system together where you start capitalizing on them but i think the biggest product of that is uh having the time having the time to do so you know Mm -hmm. but a a good starting point for anybody that wants to get into this style of hunting is just to have realistic expectations and go up there and find deer and shoot one and get it in your truck and drive home and you know go from there because that that is a challenge oh yeah just getting one for, for sure I I 100% agree. And that's, that is a a great, that's a great transition into another topic, but I know we're out of time. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to step on that topic and and push it. (laughs) We'll we'll do, we'll have to do it. We'll have to do it again. Cause yeah, I mean, we could realistically talk for a week, you know? (laughs) Yeah, but no realistic expectations and, and planning out with what you should expect to accomplish with the time that you have, you know? new area, new state, new property, you know, two to three days, three days to hunt it. Like that is people, people who are knocking down these one fifties, one sixties, one seventies, whatever year over year over year, majority of the time they're hunting a property that they've hunted year over year over year over year. And they know exactly what they're doing when they're doing and how they're doing it based on historical data and and previous hunts, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's typically, you know, it's in a, a landscape that has a lot of deer and they eliminate a lot of cover by taking down uh, the crops and then the deer get concentrated into an area and there it's, it's a little bit easier to, yeah. to find, find deer and to know where they're going to be. So yeah, I'll just, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it's like uh fall in love with the process, right? Like enjoy, enjoy going up there and the whole, the landscape part of it, the, the exploration part of it yeah. is huge i mean it's huge yeah. like i'm uh just I'm a, the adventure yeah just to walk around mm-hmm. like when you hunt on a farm you're like oh let's go walk over to this corner of it again 
You know, like <laughs> I've seen that corner of the farm 600 times. I don't need to see it again. Right. But when you go do the, you know, the big wood stuff, it's like, dude, let's, let's go walk over there and see this. And let's go walk over there and check this out. And it's all new all the right. time. So the adventure part of it totally changes the game. In my opinion, I think what really wraps it all up is, you know, camping, you get a couple good buddies and you yeah. go up there and you do a camp and you find a spot where, you know, within uh, five, 10, 15 minute range, there's some good hunting. And then, you know, big deal. If you've got to go for a 20 minute car ride from camp in the morning, one guy could go 20 minutes this way. One guy could go 20 minutes this way. You're hunting. You have so much access. But you've got a little camp set up with some buddies and you're going to have fun. And, uh, you know, if one or two guys gets a deer and you get to grill some heart or tenderloins over. To, I mean, you won't forget that. Like, right. it doesn't uh, it doesn't it's a different style of hunting that doesn't solely revolve around the like the, the score uh, right. of, of the, the deer. And it's uh on the social media stuff you can see a lot of people want to live in just that narrow space that that's all that's about and it's it's not it might be for them and that's great but for everybody else that's not the case and that's okay too yeah uh great note to end on man well kevin thank you so much for for popping on i know you know no sleep on your end yeah um, <laughs> it's all I good. gotta cut this off so you can get to bed but uh again yeah Thanks. Thanks for coming on, dude. Uh, deer hunter podcast, um, on Instagram, not so much on Facebook, <laughs> check, out, check out the actual podcast. Um, we, we do. And if you ever needed to, uh, if that was your social media platform and you needed to contact us, we do have a page or just okay. not active on it, but yeah, active on Instagram at deer hunter podcast. And then, yeah, the podcast goes out, uh, every Friday, try to get it out every Friday morning. So I kind of like to have a little bit of a going into the weekend vibe sure. with it nowadays. And we have fun with it and we hope to uh, reach new hunters and eventually uh, get more people into the, into the sport and protect its uh, our rights to do so for us and for our generations to come. So that's what we're doing yeah. on top of it. Have not having a bad time. So awesome. Good deal. And also deerhunterpodcast.com. So you can find all your stuff there as well. 100%. All right. Thanks, man. Well, hey, right. have a good night and uh, catch everybody next time. All right. Thanks, man.